You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut through the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. Hi, it's Katie Harris, and this is an episode of the Nursepreneur Podcast. Today, we have Tiffany North on from us. This is Coach Tiffany RN. Uh, Tiffany, thanks so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. This is such a cool podcast idea. <laughs> yeah, I love having nurses on and tell us you know, how they got started in their business and what inspired it and how they got uh, to where they are. So you know, having said that, the first thing I love to ask people is what, about your your background as a nurse. What were you doing as a nurse uh, prior to starting your business? Yeah, so I um, I didn't plan to be a nurse, which is kind of an odd, you know, it's hard to become a nurse. So somehow me falling into it is hilarious to me. Uh, I was going to maybe be a lab tech or do massage or, you know, some of these things. And um, I had a couple of English professors, actually, when I said I was going to be a lab tech, say, are you sure you might get bored doing that? Like, are you sure that's what you want to do? And so I started looking around at other things and um, now he's my ex-husband, but my, my partner at the time said, you know, if you have the ability to do something that not everyone can, you sort of have an obligation to do it. And now I believe a little bit differently, but that was really motivating for me to go after something, you know, that I felt like was kind of a challenge um, and decided I wanted to become a nurse because I knew I would get bored. And I love the idea that nursing offered so many different possibilities. So you could be a nurse your whole career, but do like, you know, 40 different jobs, right? <laughs> um, so I uh, became a nurse. I ended up, I did an internship in, a, in an ICU and then in the neuro ICU. And then that was actually too intense for me right off of, right out, out of nursing school. Um, so I ended up on the kind of step-down unit, which was um, neuro, uh, neurology, neurosurgery, head and neck, and seizure monitoring. And so we had trach patients and, um, you know, people who'd had pretty massive strokes and brain tumors and these things. So it was a pretty intense floor. Um, and unfortunately, I hurt my back pretty quickly and wasn't able to lift patients anymore. So I ended up doing case management. And um, ended up eventually back on that floor, which was kind of the worst case management assignment. <laughs> um, and I knew that going into it. You know, I was one of those nurses that was kind of a glutton for punishment. Like my boss said, you know, we really need somebody who knows what they're doing since I'd been a floor nurse there. Um, you know, but it's basically going to be working harder for the same pay. And so I did it. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I want to, I just want to say, because I did neuro ICU too um, for years. And it's like when the neuro world gets you and they suck you in, it's like you can never get out again because other nurses don't like neuro. And, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, but you know, neuro. So, you know, you keep getting pulled back no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And it actually really seemed very simple for me personally versus like cardiac or something, you know, like my brain just did not retain those, you know, which, which waves were okay and which waves weren't right on the ECGs. So, um, yeah. So after doing case management for a while, I actually experienced a lot of burnout and, um, that in addition to the back pain that I'd had, I also developed um, a couple of autoimmune conditions. Really, I was working overtime and then I would just come home and kind of fall in bed and was miserable. Um, and out of that came looking for something else and um, was fortunate to kind of be introduced to the coaching world 
Um, so that's kind of out of some pain and misery. <laughs> I found my, my, you know, the opening to my current path. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you've said so much here that I think it's really important to, to point out, like the overtime is something that we as nurses, I think, take for granted too, because, you know, everybody's like, oh, you only work three twelves a day a week. And it's like, yeah, I work three twelves a week. Plus I have three other jobs or I work one 12 hour shift. So you ended up working like these six 12 hour shifts and, you know, the nurses don't take like easy jobs it's like you're doing overtime in the ed or something which is not fun or easy at all um and it's it's very very stressful and every nurse that i know just takes on more work we never kind of let go of another job like if you get a new job it's not like you let go of one you just have an additional job to do and it does burn you out really fast and i remember mm -hmm. being a young nurse and thinking i could never get burnt out on this and then you know one day you walk in and you're like I'm burnt out. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. So you were, what were you doing? Were you Googling or something and you're just um, trying to find other options for nursing? Actually, I was at a party um, that was hosted by a fellow nurse who had um, gone into like some sort of health coaching and uh, met another nurse who was interested in, had learned about integrative nurse coaching. And she was telling me about it. And I thought that is exactly what I want to do. Um, I had actually started kind of on the side doing one of the multi-level marketing um, skincare, selling skincare. And I was, I was doing talks around self-care and skincare as self-care. And why don't we take, you know, time for ourselves and learning, doing a lot of personal growth and things. And what I really cared about was the self-care. I wasn't any good at selling skincare. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was losing money on the deal, but, uh, but it kind of opened the world to me. And um, anyway, so I learned about integrative nurse coaching and thought, I think that's exactly the right fit for me. Um, and so I went through the Inter Nurse, International Nurse Coach Association and um, did their six month program to become an integrative nurse coach um, and started focusing in on self-care, um, kind of general health and wellness. And then realized that I had some work to do um, in my own, on my, you know, my own personal growth journey around food. So that's kind of how I started, you know, getting closer to what I do now. Okay. Um, and so, well, let me ask you this kind of weird question. Like what, what, how do you see the difference between nursing and coaching that, you know, requires like additional education, like in coaching, like what did you learn um, differently in, in coaching school, I guess? Yeah. So the whole feel of the training was so different than any nurse training had ever received. So you, we would show up, it didn't start until 9am. <laughs> That's yeah. different right there. Yeah, it's like sleeping. <laughs> um, and then we'd show up and people would be like kind of milling around, like getting tea, getting their like, you know, space set up, saying hello to each other. And I'm kind of going like, when are we, you know, like, are we here? Like what, you know, the clock's ticking, right? Um, and then we would do like a meditation and some mindfulness practice. And then we would journal about it. And then we would share about it. You know, now it's like 1030 and we're just getting into the teaching part of it for the day. Yeah, you're right? like, where is the syllabus and the curriculum and you know, the time schedule? <laughs> Such a different energy than, you know, hospital energy. Um, and it was really good for me because part of my burnout was feeling really disillusioned about my role as a case manager at the hospital and how little I could really offer people and how it was so constrained by their insurance and all of that. And so it was like, oh my gosh, like there's this spaciousness 
for me to really support people where they're at and actually, you know, give them what they need and help them in a way that feels more, um, more holistic and supportive. So the whole nature of it feels really different. Um, and then I would say the biggest difference is that I learned about deep listening skills and about the, the client's autonomy and agency and their own wisdom. So versus, you know, my, my experience at the hospital is like, you tell people like, okay, you got to make sure you check your blood pressure, you know, or check your blood sugar three times a day. And you got to give yourself insulin and, you know, you're telling, 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 telling. Um, and, you know, even when we try to be more holistic in our care plans, a lot of it is very like, you have to do these things, you know, A, B, C, D. Um, coaching is much more about asking questions, helping people get clarity on what is um, important to them, what their, what their goals are, doing assessment around, you know, where they're at in terms of learning and, and what their bandwidth is and all of that. But, um, but in a way that really is um, centered around them and what, you know, and, and their agency and their autonomy. So yeah, I say that's the biggest difference. And while I think there are definitely nurses who already have those skills, I mean, we, we definitely are used to like holding space and listening to people and, you know, empathizing and, and those things, um, being there for people when they're, they're hurting. It, it was just a very different way of approaching helping someone than what I was used to from the hospital. Yeah. And I imagine the conversation starts at a much higher level when you're working with nurses who already have some sort of basis in like, you know, we, we certainly go through therapeutic listening and stuff, but not deep listening. So, but I mean, I imagine that conversation starts much higher than if you're just working with somebody off the street that doesn't have any of that um, baseline. Yeah, I don't have definitely the, your, who you're working with, it makes a big difference in terms of, um, you know, what, what you're going to be trying to offer them, right? If you're working with someone who is um, maybe experiencing like houselessness and they're, you know, you, you're, you're trying to help them like get a driver's license or something for proof of identification. That's very different than if you're working with someone who is, um, is resourced and has, um, you know, is wanting to maybe, um, yeah, just improve their health or something, right? So that's another difference. Um, and I actually really struggled with that I, you know, I was the person who wanted to help people who were um, hurting in the worst, you know, in the worst possible ways. And, and I, I felt like those are the people who need the most support. Um, and yet I had the experience of just kind of pouring in, I actually did case management in the emergency room for a time as well. And just kind of like pouring all of this energy in and not feeling like I was really moving the mark much because of the way the system is, right? I wasn't really operating the person what they really needed, which was like a house <laughs> and, you know, these kinds of things. Right. Um, so I had to do some grappling with, was it okay for me to work with people who are, um, you know, uh, business owners or people who are high achievers or people who, um, you know, maybe live in a nice house in the suburbs and they want to, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, really what, what it came down to was what felt fulfilling to me and what felt like I was making an impact in the way that my unique skills could make an impact. And then the ripple effect of that. Yeah. So and supporting. You, Go ahead. I was going to say the other thing that, you know, I've kind of noticed and, you know, I would, I had always like really thought about this when, you know, I would get these neuro ICU patients and, um, you know, you understand this is a neuro nurse, but, uh, and they'd be really devastating injuries, you know, like the 18 year old C2 or the, you know, the retiree 
C4, blah, 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 all these massive strokes, brain tumors, that kind of stuff. But they came in and, you know, we hit the story at that time where that person now has, is a quadriplegic, right? But it didn't have kind of the forward story of this is the person 10 minutes ago or an hour ago, they were perfectly fine. Um, and it wasn't until people would start bringing in pictures of like their loved ones and how they used to be. And then, you know, sometimes we were lucky enough to have people walk back into our unit and say, thank you and that kind of stuff. But the problem that I have with hospital medicine is that I only get that one point in time and you don't get the beginning story and you don't get the after story. And I think that does kind of burn you out and makes you somewhat apathetic, just not. And I think coaching really helps you in that aspect because you do kind of see the person's, um, you know, what they are now, what they're trying to achieve, and then, you know, kind of the results later, whereas we don't get any of that in the hospital because we're also pigeonholed in, into one segment and point in time in the story. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the things I appreciated about case management versus um, and being like on one floor consistently, you know, versus like bedside nursing is that I would get to kind of be involved with the person the whole hospital stay or at least, you know, while they were on my unit and, um, and that felt more fulfilling to me and so now actually when I work with people it's usually like on a six month container, and I love working with people for long term and really supporting them like through different life transitions and different seasons. Um, and like you were saying, when we only get that snapshot, it's, it can be really kind of demoralizing, right? Like, am I even making any difference in this person's life? Um, you know, they seem appreciative sometimes, but, <laughs> you know, like, it's, am I really making a difference? And so I also really value working with people, um, you know, outside of the container of like an acute crisis um, and kind of like more preventative, like, can I help support them in shifting their life trajectory in a way that makes it feel like they have more balance or more satisfaction out of life long term um, versus like, can I make sure they don't die today? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not on my ship. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So now you have focused on empowered eating. Is that something that in coaching, like in, when you're going through coaching, they have you specialize in something or how did you come into this? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, um, it's intuitive eating, although it is empowering. So I love that empowered, um, empowered eating actually is a great, uh, way to frame That's it. on your website. <laughs> yeah. Empowered. Yeah. Empowered. Um, I have like a program that's, yeah. Um, so intuitive eating. So I became, uh, an in integrative nurse coach. So I went through that six month long, um, program. And then I, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I was struggling in my own relationship with food and body image and really getting to a place of kind of some orthorexia with food, a lot of restriction and then binging and, um, and felt like a fraud, honestly, you know, if I'm here, I'm trying to help people with their health and wellness, although I was more focused on self-care, um, but I'm struggling in this way, right? So um, I found intuitive eating. And so intuitive eating was created by a couple of dietitians, um, Lise Resch and Evelyn Triboli, um, about 25 years ago. And they're, this is their dietitians. And they really saw the writing on the wall that, you know, prescribing restrictive diets for people just simply wasn't working and it was harmful. And so um, I, went, I, I learned about that for myself and integrated intuitive eating into my own life. And it was so powerful and healing and made such a huge difference in terms of my own relationship with myself. And then from there, you know, I felt like I, I felt really empowered in my life. And so um, 
started having conversations with people and just realizing like everyone I knew basically was struggling with food and body image and um, decided that I wanted to become certified in intuitive eating and have that be the focus of my practice. Um, so I now exclusively work with people around food and body image issues. And, um, and then I've gotten some other training in addition to that. Uh, I just went through an embodied eating disorder recovery training and um, some somatic practices called uh, re-embody some other things. So, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a typical nurse in that way that I'm constantly, <laughs> constantly learning, adding in more, you know, letters and all of that behind my, <laughs> behind my name. Um, but I really found that this was a way that I could personally identify with and that I see yeah, so much struggle and such a, such an awesome path to empowerment when we do that healing work. Right. So when you, when a, when somebody, well, first of all, what, what type of person comes to you, what type of person finds you and um, signs up for your programs? Typically people who come to me are people who are, um, they're, they're giver personalities. So sometimes it's nurses, sometimes it's, you know, other people, but they're often giver personalities. They've often been struggling with food and body most of their lives. Um, sometimes I had a client who was put on a diet at like four years old. So, oh, yeah. um, yeah, it's oftentimes from like, you know, puberty age on, um, and they're sick of dieting. They're sick of, you know, trying to restrict or, or they're just tired of like beating themselves up about it and feeling bad about their body. Um, I also work with people who maybe have been more avoidant, um, you know, in their relationship with food. So they haven't really dieted, but they just like kind of eat whatever. And they don't, um, you know, it's not in a way that's very like attuned or responsive to their body. They're kind of ignore their body, right. And just, uh, kind of avoid the whole thing, but they're having, they're often having a lot of shame around it as well. So, yeah. So how do you start with somebody like this? So let's say somebody comes to you, they've had 25 years of these restrictive diets and they, they find you and they think, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. Um, I mean, where do you even start with somebody like that? Um, to help them. Yeah. So I have a lot of tools that I, that I use, but, um, yeah, so I have an online course. I have, you know, there's the intuitive eating principles that I rely on heavily. I'm creating my own model, you know, so I have a lot of tools that they can engage in, but what I find is most often people need to hear you're not broken. It's not, there's not, it's not like a lack of willpower that you couldn't make dieting work. Um, a lot of holding space around and validating like this experience is really common and um, our, it's our systems, right? It's like diet culture and other systems of oppression that have really um, caused people to feel the way that you're feeling right now. And um, so we spend time, you know, I have a big intake and they, you know, we talk all about that, but, but really we spend a lot of time resourcing their nervous system and kind of getting them ready to be able to do the, the deeper healing work. Um, yeah, I recently learned a kind of trauma healing, um, process that's, um, or a way of articulating that really is the first phase is, is resourcing the body, coming to a place of nervous system regulation, basically coming for, to a place of readiness to change. Right. Um, and then from there doing some, some somatic work, doing some digging into, you know, what really happened around your relationship with food? What did you experience as a child? A lot of times the people I'm working with also are seeing a therapist because, you know, trauma will sometimes come up and I want to make sure they're well-resourced. Um, and then the last phase is um, more of a, 
you know, you've built a bigger container now, right? You have a, you have, you're more resourced. That trauma is still part of your life experience, but you are, um, it's, it's not taking up so much space. We have a more holistic view. You're able to kind of move through the world in a way that's not as impacted by that, be more present in the current moment, um, be more integrated, right? As a whole, as a whole person, the trauma isn't so huge. Right. And so, yeah, this is, it's, this stuff goes way back for people. So we have to yeah. kind of dig into all of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, I imagine that all of that, um, you know, the, that personal trauma and, and whatnot doesn't just manifest itself as eating um, in, in these different ways. Like, I mean, you must help them in other ways as well as kind of like a side effect, if you will, of addressing the eating. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the empowerment piece comes in. That's why it was so healing for me. We're really doing um, attachment work, right. And, and healing attachment ruptures that we had. Um, and so with ourselves, with our, you know, caregivers that we were growing up with and in our relationships, food impacts, you know, all of these things, but I think you're hitting on something really important. It's more of a symptom <laughs> than um, the actual problem. And so people come to me thinking that the problem is food and they want to control and manage that. But really, then we realize the problem is all of these other pieces. And so um, by doing healing work around those things, absolutely, um, it's going to positively affect other areas of your life. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny because we have the same issue in business because a lot of, uh, you know, the business issues of starting a business um, have nothing to do with actually starting the business. It has to do with all this other head trash that people have to get through, but nobody's mm -hmm. going to sign up for a course on how to get rid of your head trash. So, you know, it's like <laughs> we have to build it into whatever courses that, that are there because it it's just stops people in their track. Um, and to that end, um, you know, so did you realize when you were going to get your coaching certificate that you were going to start a business and, you know, kind of where it would take you? Not really. I mean, I, the coaching thing, I knew I needed basically every training I've ever done. I wanted to do for my own personal growth. <laughs> I was really there for me first. And then as I, you know, as I kind of um, grew and, and expanded, it was like, oh, I really want to help other people doing this. And so, um, yeah, I didn't have any idea what it would ultimately look like. Um, now I'm, you know, creating a model and writing a book and seeing people, you know, in my practice and not working at the hospital anymore. Um, so, so the answer, the short answer is no. And, um, and I'm kind of glad because I think I would have had some of that head, more of that head trash <laughs> you're talking about. It kind of ended up kind of like stealthily, you know, <laughs> happening for me. So I still had to work through it, but not yeah. from getting started. <laughs> yeah, that's been the most frustrating thing in, in my business is, you know, getting through all the head trash and having to deal with all my, my issues from like that I stuffed down and was able to like deal with like when you're in the hospital, like you don't have time for that, that stuff. But like once you kind of, but it really chips away at you too. And, you know, after a while, you know, I had this the experience where I was just like angry all the time. And then I'm like, why am I so angry at everybody? Like, I don't understand. And it's like, when you have time to just kind of relax and decompress and everything starts coming up and especially in, in a business, it's just kind of like, oh my God, how did I ever function? Like, <laughs> I don't know how I got here, but um, uh, okay. So, but Tell me, how did you get your first couple of clients? Um, how does that work in the coaching space? Yeah, so um, I I get most of my clients from, well, initially it was actually people that I kind of knew, you know, that that I was like colleagues or friends or, you know, people, um, not like close friends typically, but like someone who 
kind of knew, you know, me from friend circles. And um, a lot of it was, you know, posting on social media, being on podcasts, um, yeah, going to networking events and just like saying, hi, this is what I do. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, word of mouth, you know, referrals started to trickle in after I had started seeing clients. So, so no is. magic bullet or secret no. sauce. It's just <laughs> no. the the boring stuff that we always talk about is like go out and meet people and you know who do you know and who are you willing to get to know and and building it up from there. So you mentioned that you're writing a book. Um, what's when is that coming out? So it'll be a little while. Um, I am kind of shopping uh, publishers now and have it like about a quarter of the way, you know, a quarter of the writing actually done and then the, the outline done. Um, the book is about, I've, I've recently realized that, I kind of mentioned attachment a few times, that um, attachment theory actually really applies to our relationship with food in our body. Um, and, you know, that this, this comes out of attachment relationships. So we're fed, you know, ideally when we're babies, we cry and we're held and fed, right? And so what our caregivers, how our caregivers cared for us, what they modeled for us, all of that really impacts our relationship with food. And so I flexed attachment theory um, to this idea that we have a direct attachment relationship with food. So some people are like anxious, preoccupied around food, taking up a lot of mental and emotional energy. Some people are more fearful, avoidant and disorganized. And so that's going to look more like someone who's got an active like um, anorexia diagnosis or exercise dependence, right? A lot of restriction. Um, some people are more avoidant. And so that's going to be, you know, people who just don't want to have to think about it. You know, they kind of eat the same thing all the time or they don't, they eat whatever. Um, some self-neglect can be present there. And then some people are kind of naturally secure, right? They just grew up with a family that um, has, um, you know, ingrained, like shown them how to be attuned to their body and to eat in a way that feels good and but still enjoy food, right? Um, and then the rest of us, you know, the goal is kind of to move toward an earned secure relationship with food in our body. So, so the book is um, the model of, of attachment theory um, in our relationship with food in our body and how to come to um, an earned secure relationship with food. Awesome. I love that. Um, now you also have something on your website called a um, manifesto. Do you want to <laughs> talk about where that idea came from and, and what it is? Yeah, I was at um, this camp. It's called Camp Yes for Women. And it's like a summer camp for, for women entrepreneurs. And um, there was a writing workshop. And so I went and they talked about a woman manifesto instead of a, a manifesto. Um, and they just asked, like, what are you really passionate about? And why do you do that? And um, so the idea is like this ripple effect when we know, so part of the problem with food and body image is we think our value and our worth is tied to how we look or if we eat perfectly and these external things, perfectionism is part of that, right? All of these external measures of our value. And so when we can disconnect our value and our worth from these external measures and realize that we are inherently valuable, um, then we can have better boundaries. <laughs> we can, um, you know, care for, our, for ourselves from a place of love versus a place of should and beating ourselves up about things. Um, so it impacts a lot. It's that empowerment piece. And then that ripple effect of, you know, when we know our value and our worth is inherent and we're not kind of pulled by all of these other things and filled with all the shame, then we can model that for other people. And so the impact that that has. So that's my, that's my manifesto in a nutshell. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, 
Okay, and so how do how do people work with you now? Do they work with you one on one in a group? How do they work with you? Yeah, so I do both. I do um, private one on one coaching, and as I mentioned, it's like a six month long container, and um, you know we meet really frequently, and they kind of have unlimited um, access to support with me. And then I have a group program that I run periodically. I'll probably be running another one in January. That is like you know twelve weeks. It's all the intuitive eating principles, and then we meet weekly as a group. Um, so they have, you know, the modules online and then the group sessions, and, um, and then I have my, um, online quiz people can take as well. So that's, uh, at coachtiffanyrn.com forward slash quiz. And that's, if you want to find out what your like food attachment style is, um, and want to kind of dive into that a little bit more, that's, um, that's how people can kind of access me without direct, you know, <laughs> without directly accessing me. Yeah. <laughs> what is the, what does the quiz tell you when you're, when you're done? Um, it tells you your food attachment style. So those four types that I was talking about, are you more preoccupied? Are you more avoidant? Are you more secure? Um, and it gives you a little bit of information about, you know, where to go from there. Like if this is my type, then what do I do? Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. Um, okay. So again, where can people find you if they want to work with you or find out more about what you're doing and, and all that kind of good stuff? Yeah, great. Thank you. They can go to my website, coachtiffanyrn.com. The work with me page has an application for a free um, peace with food session where, you know, I give them, we talk about what their struggles are, what they're, what they'd really like their relationship with food to be like. And then I give some recommendations. And if it's a match, we talk about how they can work with me. Um, I do currently have a few private slots open. So I am offering those free sessions. I don't run them all the time because, you know, when my practice gets more full, I don't, I can't, you know, if I can't take anyone on, I'm not able to do the free sessions, but, um, but you caught me at a good time. So, yeah. Awesome. All right, Tiffany. Well, thank you so much for doing this with us today. Yeah, this podcast is so great. Actually, you had on my uh, colleague and a friend, Jen Owen. Um, and so it was so cool to see that she's been on and listen to the podcast of her. And I, I love that you're inspiring nurses, you know, to expand and find things that they really love to do. And nurses are so, they have, we have so much experience and talent. I know. And, yeah. It makes me mad sometimes. Like, I'm like, oh my God, you have to do this. You have to start this business. They're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, yes. It'd be so great. <laughs> yep. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.